Section 2 of Father Thames. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Steve Van Middlesworth. Father Thames by Walter Higgins. The Estuary and Its Towns. Sheppey, on the coast of which is the Warden Point that forms one end of the Port of London boundary line, is an island separated from the mainland of Kent by the Swale. People frequently speak of it as the Isle of Sheppey, but this title is not strictly correct, for the name Sheppey really includes the word island. William Camden, that old writer on geographical subjects, informs us that this Isle of Sheep, whereof it feedeth mighty great flocks, was called by our ancestors Sheppey, that is, the Isle of Sheep. Though it is only eleven miles long and five miles broad, this little island presents within its compass quite a variety of scenery, especially when the general flatness of the whole area round about is borne in mind, for in addition to its riverside marshes, it has a distinctly hilly ridge geographically related to the North Downs, surmounted by a little village rejoicing in the high-sounding name Minster in Sheppey, wherein at one time was the ancient Saxon Minster or Priory of St. Saxburga. But the oft-repeated words concerning prophets and honor apply to this little out-of-the-way corner, for the men of Kent are wont to say that when the world was made, Sheppey was never finished. Naturally, from its situation right at the entrance to the Thames, Sheppey has always played some considerable part in the welfare of the lower river. What happened in these parts in the early days we do not know. We can only conjecture that Celts, coming across from the mainland of Europe in their frail vessels, found this way into Britain, and without hindrance sailed up the river to found the tiny settlement of Linden Hill. We can only surmise that later some of the Saxons worked their way gradually up the wide opening while the main body of their comrades found other ways into this fair land. Not till the ninth century do we begin to get any definite record of invasion. Then, in 832, we find the Vikings with their longboats hovering about the mouth of the river, landing in Sheppey and raiding that little island with its monastery on the hill. They returned in 839, and in 857 they came with a great fleet of their longboats, 350 of them, in order that they might advance up the river and make an attack on the city. In 893 they came yet again, landing either at Milton Creek on the Swale, or at Milton, nearly opposite Tilbury, it is uncertain which, but the men of London drove them off. So it went on for many years, invasion after invasion, till the days of Canute, when the river played a very great part in the warfare now favoring, now hampering the Danish leaders. From the time of the Norman conquest onwards, there was, of course, nothing in the way of foreign invasions, and the Thames, ceasing to be a gateway by means of which the stranger might enter England, became a barrier impeding the progress of the various factions opposing each other in the national struggles, the War of the Barons, the War of the Roses, and the Great Civil War. In these, however, the Thames below London played no very great part, not till the days of Charles III, when the Dutch helped to write such a sorry chapter in our history, did the Thames again loom large in our military annals. Sheerness is, of course, the most famous place on the island, for it has long been a considerable dockyard and port. The spot on which it was built was reclaimed from the marshes in the time of the Stuarts and was chosen in the days of Charles II as the situation for a new dockyard. If we turn up the diary of the old Samuel Pepys, the secretary of the Admiralty in those days, we shall find under the date of August 18th, 1665, walked up and down laying out the ground to be taken in for a yard to lay provisions for cleaning and repairing of ships, 
and a most proper place it is for this purpose. While on February 27, two years later, His Majesty was at Sheerness to lay those fortifications which were destined within less than six months to be destroyed by the Dutch. The other important town in Sheppey is Queensborough, a well-known packet station. Originally, this was Kingborough, but it was rechristened by Edward III in honor of his queen, Philippa, at the time when William Wycombe, of whose skill as a builder we shall read in the chapter on Windsor in Book Three, erected a castle on the spot where the railway station now stands. East Church, toward the other end of the island, developed a splendid flying ground during the war. On the other side of Medway, forming a peninsula between that river and the Thames, lies the Isle of Grain, a place which is not an island and which has nothing whatever to do with grain. It consists of a marshy promontory with a packet station, Port Victoria, and a seaplane base, Fort Grain, and very little else beside. At its western extremity is the dirty little Yantlet Creek, close to which stands the well-known London Stone, an obelisk set up to mark the point where, prior to the Port of London Act, ended the power of the Mayor of London in his capacity as conservator of the Thames. Westward from Yantlet Creek are great flats out of which rise the batteries of Shornmead and Cliff, considerable forts designed to serve with that of Coalhouse Point opposite on the Essex shore as a defense of the river. They were built in no very remote times, but were practically never anything else than useless against modern artillery, and were destined, so later military engineers said, to do more damage to each other than to any invading foes. On the Essex coast, opposite Sheerness, are two famous places, South End and Shoeburyness. The one a famous resort for trippers, the other an important school of artillery. Not so very long ago, South End was unheard of. Defoe, who covered the ground hereabouts pretty thoroughly, makes no mention of it, even as a hamlet. Yet, today, it is a flourishing and constantly growing town. Not so much a watering place nowadays as a rather distant suburb of London, for here and in the adjacent district of Westcliff, now by the builders and the trams joined on, and even in Ley still farther west, live many of London's more successful workers, making the daily journey to and from town. Nor is this surprising, for South End is an enterprise borough, one that makes the most of its natural advantages, and endeavors to cater equally well for the residents and the casual visitors. Of course, the town will always be associated with day-trippers from London, folk who come down with their families to get a whiff of the briny, and a taste of the succulent cockles for which South End is noted, and to enjoy a ride in one of the numerous boats or on the tram that runs along the mile and a half length of South End's vaunted possession, the longest pier in England. And while we laugh sometimes at these trippers with their ribald enjoyment of strange scenes, we must admit that they choose a most healthy and enjoyable place. At Shoeburyness, approached by way of the tram cars, things are far more serious. Cockney joviality seldom gets so far from the piers as this. Off the land there is a very extensive bank of shallows, and here the artillerymen carry out their practice, the advantage being that in such a spot the costly projectiles fired can be recovered and put in order for future use. Canvey Island, which lies tucked away in a little corner to the west of Ley, is yet another example of man's triumph over nature, for it has veritably been stolen from the waters. It was reclaimed as long ago as 1622 by one Joas Copperberg, who, for his labor, received about 2,000 of the 6,000 acres, and Dutch most assuredly Canvey is. With quaint Dutch cottages, one of them a six-sided affair dated 1621 and set up by the very Dutchman who came over to construct the dams, and with Dutch dikes dividing the fields instead of hedges. Robert Buchanan, in his novel Andromeda, wrote of it in these terms. 
flat as a map, so intermingled with creeks and runlets that it is difficult to say where water ends and land begins, Canvey Island lies, a shapeless octopus, right under the high ground of Benfleet and Hadley, and stretches out muddy and slimy feelers to touch and dabble in the deep waters of the flowing Thames. Away across the marshes rise the ancient ruins of Hadley Castle, further eastward, the high spire and square tower of Ley Church. At the village of Benfleet, which he mentions, the Danes landed when in 874 they made one of their characteristic raids on the Thames estuary, and here they hoarded up the goods filched from the Essex villages until such time as there should come a wind favorable for their journey home. Like various other places of the estuary and the lower reaches of the river, Canvey Island has on occasion been proposed as a place for deep-sea wharves, so that unloading might be carried out without the journey upriver. But so far, nothing definite has come of these suggestions. End of section 2